Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, tonight I want to tell you about a missionary. This is a mission conference, and we're going to talk about missionaries. And uh, this missionary was uh, fairly young and was taken, he was captured by some terrorists and taken off to Iraq and was held captive for a long, long time just south of Baghdad. And he was a, but he he learned the language and he learned the culture. And slowly over time, he grew and he, and he, he became known in the community as a man of integrity and a person of leadership quality. But on the night of October the 11th, 538 B.C., the, a strange event took place. And that is the city where he lived, which was called Babylon at the time, was captured without firing a single shot. And if you know the story, it's found in, in the, the last verses of the book of Daniel, verse 30, where Babylon fell after the king had seen God's hand writing on the wall. And there was a special man who had been brought in, a missionary who had been brought into captivity from Israel way over to this area south of Baghdad, south of Baghdad today, um, and he was held there in captivity for many, many years. And yet, over the years, God used him as a mighty missionary. Now, you might think of him as a prophet, but in fact, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, he's considered a missionary rather than a prophet. Interesting enough. And Daniel served in the king's court as a great witness to the pagan people of his day. Now, that's what a missionary does. And um, uh, during the, 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 when the captivity took place there, uh, or uh, when, uh, not Daniel's captivity, but when Babylon fell, the vice regent under the king of Cyrus the Great, his name was Ugabaru, took the city of Babylon without even a fight. But a month later he died and he was replaced by another uh, uh, regent who was called Ugabaru. And Cyrus the Great gave Ugabaru, uh, sorry, Gubaru, a special name, Darius. And he happened to be a Mede. And so in the Bible, we read about Darius the Mede. And Darius the Mede appointed 120 governors, or today we would probably call them warlords, over the area which is now Iraq and Iran in that part of the world. And Daniel was appointed as one of three primary commissioners who were responsible to take care of these warlords. You talk about a hard assignment for a missionary. He was a foreigner. And he was responsible for a whole lot of warlords in a place of the world where tribalism was strong and great. That was the ministry that God gave to Daniel. The reason he was appointed into such an important position is because he was a man of integrity. He had moral courage. He was a very capable leader, and he was loyal and dependent. He was motivated with a pure heart. And everyone around noticed this man, 
and they put him in charge of the government. And in fact, he was so successful as a leader, Darius the Mede was going to make him the chief of the chiefs. He was actually going to put him over the other three commissioners. Well, you know the story of what happened in in, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel was caught in a trap due to no fault of his own, much like many missionaries today. You know the story. I don't need to read it to you. If you want to, open your Bibles to to Daniel chapter 6. But what happened was these 120 warlords or satraps or governors, whichever word you want to use, they came together with these other two commissioners and they connived together how to get rid of Daniel. Because Daniel was a nuisance to them. You see, love always causes problems to devious people. Integrity is one of the things that people fear the most if you're corrupt. And it is true on the mission field today as well. And these leaders, as you know, went to the king or to the, uh, to the regent. His name was Darius the Mede. And they said, Darius, long live king. <laughs> and uh, they said, why don't we make a law that any petition to any god or man other than you, the results would be that you would be, they would be thrown into the lion's den and killed. For the next 30 days... Only petitions can be brought to you. And Darius the Bede, being the humble man that he was, said, of course I'll sign such a deal. He wasn't motivated out of humility, was he? It was pride all the way. He was not aware of the trap being set for Daniel. Now, how did Daniel respond to this problem? He responded by doing what he always does. Every day he got down on his knees and he prayed. That's how he responded to a crisis. You see, there were two primary causes for Daniel's predicament. The first cause was the evil hearts of jealous men. And the second cause was a weak and stupid vice regent who wasn't aware of what trap he was being put in as well. But I want to submit to you that there was also a third reason there to going on. And that is it is a broader plan and purpose of God that was at work through all of this conniving and all of this deceit and all the things that happened to Daniel. He was still the hand of God at work in the face of what looked like total disaster. Have you ever faced a lion's den? Have you ever been caught in a trap for something you weren't, it wasn't your fault. You weren't really guilty, but you had to take the punishment for it. Many a missionary has. Many a missionary on the field has been caught in traps. Daniel got down on his knees and prayed. Now let me ask you a question. What do you think Daniel prayed? Let me ask you another question. If it was you and you knew That within 24 hours, by getting down on your knees and praying, you were going to be thrown into a pit of lions. And you could feel, you could imagine what those canine teeth around your skull would do when they crushed down upon you. And he could imagine what it was going to be like in 24 hours to have a lion's mouth all around his neck. 
And this was not a story that you tell children, this is the truth of what this was, that Daniel was facing. You talk about facing troubles. You talk about tough times when the going gets tough. Well, believe me, it was going tough with Daniel that day. Now, he knew that if he didn't pray, they were going to accuse him of praying anyway. So you might as well be praying. You might as well get caught doing what you're going to be, what they accused you of because he was going to be accused of it anyway. Do you think they would have stopped because he didn't actually pray? These were liars. They lied all the time. And so, of course, he would have been caught in that trap. I believe that Daniel was praying the kind of prayers that are worth giving your life for. I believe Daniel was down on his knees praying something very serious. And at the end of the chapter, we see a hint as to what Daniel was actually praying. Because we see the answer to his prayer at the end of the chapter. And we'll read that in a minute. As missionary leaders, every day I send men and women and small children to go into harm's way. That weighs heavily upon me as a mission leader. Now, Diane and I have been there in our, own, uh, in our own experience of 35 years of mission service in other parts of the world. We had the privilege of living in a communist country secretly for seven years before we were invited to leave and ended up in Austria and then started work there and later on in Bulgaria working uh, totally underground. For, for several years in training pastors and leaders, uh, got arrested in five countries of Eastern Europe. We know something about what it is to stand for your faith and to say it is true and it is worth it and we will do it. And so when we send out our own workers to go into a place like Afghanistan or go into up into the mountains in western Pakistan and be as a doctor to work and pull out bullets from Taliban warlords, that's a ministry at great cost, particularly when you have two children under five and rockets fall into the courtyard of the, of the hospital. It takes a heavy toll on a family. Would you be willing to do that? This morning I mentioned that uh, the theme here is when the, t- when the going gets tough, you know the other side of that story. What is it? When the, tough, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But the truth isn't that. That's not the truth. Because when the, when the going gets tough over here, I've seen many a tough guy get going over there. But I've also seen some very fearful and normal missionaries go into the face of the tough times because they've got courage. They're not, they're not courageous people. They're not adventurous. They're not people who are really tough in their own sake and trying to prove who they are and they'll take on anything. Most of them go scared to death, just like you would. Would you go into that kind of a situation? And not be afraid. During the Bosnian War, I made numerous trips for the United Nations High Commissioner of Refugees because they were looking for someone who spoke the languages of uh, Yugoslavia and was stupid enough to go. And I said, well, that sounds like me. And so we went in over and over again, flown in on uh, UN planes and uh, showed up 
in Sarajevo under fire, and uh, I was uh, fortunate they threw a rope out the window of this, out the uh, door of this airplane, and we had to go hand over hand down. I was so glad because at my age, you don't go up, you go down, and uh, over that kind of a thing. It's been a long time since I've done that sort of a thing with a flak jacket that weighed 40 pounds and a helmet on, and then we ran across the tarmac, and a, a group of British soldiers in a tank, an armored personnel carrier come up and they said, are you Johnson? And I said, yes, I am. And they said, where do you want to go? And we went all over Bosnia together in the war zone and working with humanitarian aid, but also preaching the gospel. And it was a wonderful, wonderful ministry, which I, I relish the memories of because God blessed and worked in a way that is unusual. And churches came out of it. There were only 50 believers in Bosnia before the war, and now there are over 900 Because people have gone there to proclaim the gospel of Christ in the most difficult times. And people trusted them afterwards. Love is a powerful weapon that makes corrupt leaders very much afraid. Just in the last few weeks, one of our missionary teams over in Central Asia. I won't mention countries or places because people international works between Turkey and China and Afghanistan and Pakistan in the south and then up into Bashkortostan and Tatarstan up in the north, totally among the Muslim people. Our total focus is unveiling the glory of God to Muslim peoples in that part of the world. So like our brother, we're not going to say a whole lot about where and when and how these things take place. But I will tell you that they do. But just a few weeks ago, a team of 13 people were facing expulsion because there was a, a, a particular person in the Ministry of Justice who wanted a bribe. If you want to get your visas for the next two years, you pay me $3,000 and everything will be fine. And these men prayed for about it. And these families, they got on their knees and they came back and they said, no, that is not right. And strangely enough, some other missions did pay it. They got their visas. But our team said, no, we've been to court twice in the last three weeks. And we're supposed to go back to court again this week. Would you pray for our team? That God in his mercy will protect them? It wasn't due to anything that they did. In fact, when it came to court, the judges said, we don't find any fault with you. Nevertheless, (laughs) nevertheless, we're going to find you guilty because you didn't pay a bribe. Last summer, we had a team of 12 over in another country, in a neighboring country, that had been there for 10, 12 years. Had done all kinds of medical work. Two ophthalmologists had performed over a thousand surgeries on children. Eye surgeries. And, 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 and saved the blindness of, of hundreds of children and people there. And not charging a thing. And we had ministry going on in orphanages. We had ministry going on also in teaching uh, English, but also developing church leaders on the side very very quietly. Church planting and evangelism very quietly on the sides. But these public ministries were helping people in humanitarian aid. And the government uh, came and did an audit. And just like with Daniel... They found no fault in this group. In fact, when the government uh, finished their report on our team in this country, they said, you are exemplary. You've done nothing wrong. You've done everything right. And we have much to be be thankful for. But nevertheless, we're going to kick you all out. And they did. 
And we had some broken families. Some of these kids, some missionary kids, MKs, had had lived there their whole lives. Had never lived any other country. Had been there 12, 15 years, some of them. And they had to leave in just a few days. In fact, one of the ophthalmologists got to the, uh, had gone out on a holiday to Turkey. And when they got, and by the way, they went, while they were in Turkey, they went to the, to the um, uh, embassy and got their visas renewed in 15 minutes without any problem, got on the plane, and when they were at the airport in, their, in the country where they lived, they were told, you cannot enter. And he was kicked out. Fortunately, they let the wife and one son come into the country to pack up their things and to leave. It's a great price to lose your country, your home. Diane and I have experienced that. When we were in uh, Yugoslavia back in the, in the communist days, back in the, in the 1970s, our supporters didn't even know what country we lived in, let alone where we were couldn't contact us. We simply disappeared for a period of years. We were involved in church planting and we were also involved in, 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 in um, uh, developing team leaders, uh, sorry, uh, pastors. Um, we had a group of uh, pastors that I met with every week and uh, we called it the Kitchen Table Bible Institute because we'd go around from house to house and when you're a friend, they always invite you into the kitchen. You don't go into the living room. You go into the kitchen. And when you sit around the kitchen, and because I was the foreigner, I got to choose what we talked about. And so we would, no notes, no sit-down class type thing, but we would just start talking and we'd start saying something like, well, what do you think about Jesus Christ? On what basis do you believe that he is truly God? And we would get out our Bibles and we'd start studying it and so forth. And over a period of a year, one of, our, one of these pastors finally said, he says, I've noticed something about our weekly conversations. He said, you have actually led us through every systematic theology, haven't you? I said, how about that? We had prepared very well for those times with these people to disciple pastors in their ministry. But in the church planting ministry, one of the leaders of one of the churches that we were involved in was very jealous of what was going on. And out of probably a wrong understanding of Romans 13, which talks about being submissive to the government, he turned us into the police. One of our good Christian brothers. We'd had ministry to his son. And uh, he got in trouble in drugs, and Diane and I helped him get out of it. But he turned us into the police. And on Christmas Day, 1980, that's a long time ago, the police started coming to our house and they came every day for two months. You talk about intense period of time. And then we were invited to leave. And we ended up in Vienna, Austria. Started a Bible school there and later on a theological faculty in Bulgaria. And so the story goes on. People International is all about unveiling God's glory to Muslim peoples. What greater thing could you give your life to than that? You see, Islam hides the glory of God. His true nature. What is he really like? Who is God? If you take out Jesus Christ, if you take out the cross, if you take out the Holy Spirit from God, what do you have left? Well, you do have the Father. It's not that you don't have anything. 
But they hide the truth of who God is from their people and give tidbits of the truth like giving small pieces of candy to try to pacify people rather than giving them the cross and the Redeemer and the great love of Jesus Christ. It's the, issue, it's the concept of grace that is missing in Islam and the nature of who God truly is. We are so privileged sitting here in this room We get to worship the true God. We sing songs of praise to Him because He's the real God. Thank you folks for singing and leading us in that music. We really so appreciate what you're doing and your ministry to us. I've been blessed listening to you. How do you survive the lion's den? How do you go about? What advice should I give to our missionaries? I read to you on Saturday night... A portion of a letter. I didn't read the whole letter because it was getting too long. But the letter was talking about, do you remember this missionary? Who's in, a, who, 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 the, the, in their country of ministry, there were all kinds of war going on. And yet it doesn't show up in the news anywhere. It's not in Afghanistan or in Pakistan. I can tell you it's in the Caucasus region. And this missionary family with two small children... Uh, Their ministry is in one of the most dangerous places of the world. Fifty people have been kidnapped since January in that part of the world. And the interesting thing, the part I didn't read to you, is that it says that the government is blaming the whole thing on Americans and the West. Now what makes that interesting is, is that he is the only Westerner in the entire country. How would you like to be the only missionary in a whole country? And you're blamed for all kinds of war and bombings and other things going on and you're the only one there you talk about being in the center of troubled times how do you face the lion's den the last chap the last paragraph of that letter was it was to me says what should i do how would you answer somebody who says that do you have the right of martyrdom I've thought a lot about that. Do I, as a mission leader, have the right? Do I give that right to our missionaries to give their lives to Jesus Christ when they have a choice to leave and they decide to stay? And this is an American couple, American family, who choose to give their lives for the people they love and for the Christ of the cross because they love him. Let me give you a few just basic things on how to face your lion's den. Number one, recognize the lion's den is real. It's not a story. When Daniel was put down on his knees praying, he knew that within 24 hours he was going to be in it. When he was standing 24 hours later at the edge of that lion's den, he knew that in the next few minutes his life is over. From everything that he knew, maybe God would intervene, maybe God wouldn't. God had not prom- There's no indication that God had promised him that he would be delivered. You have to realize the lion's den is real. In 1995, in October the 2nd, I, uh, sorry, on August the 2nd, I stood at the top of Mount Igman in Bosnia. And if you know anything about the Bosnian War, you know that that was the most notorious place in the entire war. And I was to drive down that mountain 
three or four kilometers totally exposed to anti-aircraft fire. And all strewn across the side of that mountain were hundreds of dead people in their cars and in trucks and buses that they had shot up. 700 meters away or 700 yards away was a Serbian anti-aircraft battery. And anything that went down the mountain, they shot at. You talk about adrenaline rush. That was an adrenaline rush. You have to know the mountain is real. You have to know that the lion's den is real. And my wife and I prayed about that before I went. And she knew and I knew that there was a very great chance that I would never come back from that event. But we believed that it was what God wanted us to do. There was work, spiritual work in Sarajevo. It had been blocked off for five months. No humanitarian aid had been able to get in for five months. And I had one little van full of one ton of food. And we were to take it to the eight Baptist believers in Sarajevo who were starving to death. And because I was a foreigner and I had previously had UN coverage, they thought I was the one to do that. It was a hair-braising event. And God in His mercy got me down that mountain. Obviously, I'm still here. (laughs) And through all kinds of checkpoints and into Sarajevo. And we had a wonderful fellowship with two days with rockets dropping all around. I'll tell you, it increases your prayer life. It does. The next day was able to get out. And I don't have time to tell you the story, miracle after miracle to get out because the UN was so distraught with me. The, the military, they promised that they would never let me out of the city of Sarajevo until the war was over. But in 24 hours, I was out by God's wonderful grace. So you've got to know the lion's den is real. Secondly, you have to know what doesn't help. What doesn't help is guessing people's motives. What doesn't help is trying to have have vengeance toward them or to look for political solutions or compromise or getting all angry over it or fearful or bitterness. That doesn't really help. It doesn't solve anything. Thirdly, we need to see the bigger picture of what God is doing. You know, God could have taken care of Daniel's problem in a lot of ways. He could have simply, not, he could have closed the, the, the lion's mouth as he did, we know in that book. But, you know, he, they could have spared him even going into the lion's den. I mean, there's bird flu and there's swine flu. Why can't there be lion flu? And he gets to the lion den and these lions are so sick they don't want to eat anything, you know. That could have happened. Who knows? Or maybe they would have all died the day before. Or maybe somebody would have come in and uh, uh, maybe the king would have figured out what a stupid decision he had made and he tried to reverse it. Or there's a lot of other ways that he could have spared Daniel the lion's den, but he didn't. And the reason is, is because he had a higher higher purpose, a greater purpose than what Daniel could see at the moment. God chose to let Daniel go through the lion's den, folks. He chose it. And he lets you go through difficult times too. Look at God's glory in the midst of the pain and suffering that you experience. See the bigger picture of what God is doing. Did you see what the chapter ended with? Do you remember what the chapter ends with? 
Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples and nations and men of every language who were living in all the land. May your peace abound, he writes. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. That's what the purpose of the lion's den was all about. Now, if Daniel, even though he was a pretty uh, highly respected fella, if before this he had gone up to Darius the Mede and said, Darius, why don't you write a decree to all of your people out throughout the land and say, um, just say to them that uh, Darius, your God is a false God. He's not really very good. But my God is the right God. He's the real one. And just get everybody to worship my God. What do you think they would have done? Nothing. Darius would have looked at him and said, you know, have you just been through a train wreck or what happened to you, buddy? You're not thinking right. There's no way I'm going to do that. Tell everybody my God is the wrong one. Are you crazy? It took a lion's den to convince the king who was God. And through the lion's den, an entire nation hears about the God of Daniel. Brothers and sisters, that's what mission work is about. That's why missionaries suffer. That's why the work in in India through our brother has those kinds of challenges because people see the hand of God and see the work of God. Fourthly, let let us realize that Daniel had an extraordinary spirit working in him, according to Daniel 6.3. He had a special spirit, and brothers and sisters, so do you. We have the spirit of Almighty God working within us. We wouldn't do what we're doing if it wasn't for that. And it's because of the spirit of God, he gives courage and faith to do what you would never think of doing. You would never imagine taking your kids into that situation. And you place them in the hands of God, and let me tell you, that's okay. That's the safe place to be because God is at work. Let me tell you just quickly a story of one missionary family somewhere in Central Asia working among a Muslim people group that were very resistant to the gospel. But there was a small little church that met in a yurk. Do you know what a yurk is? It's a tent made out of felt, a round tent. And about 15 to 20 people would gather there on a Sunday and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a woman, a young woman in that church by the name of Michaela. And Michaela had been a believer for about six years. And she became burdened for a, for a village, a Muslim village, about two hours drive away. She began to pray for it. She began to pray for this village. And Michaela, is not a, she's not a foreigner. She's a local gal. And our missionaries were working with this, this, this little fellowship. And Michaela went to the church and said, I believe God is sending me as a missionary to this village. And the little church said, yeah, we, we, we recognize that, that as well. And we send out this, little, this young woman to a, as a missionary to a village two hours drive away. And Michaela, when she was there, she met Lena, a 12-year-old girl. But she also ran into great opposition. She was beaten up. She was assaulted. They threatened to rape her if she would not renounce her faith in Jesus Christ. Women, can you imagine what she went through? To face rape in order to give or give up your faith. 
she stood firm. And she met this young girl, Lena, who was 12 years old. In December, her grandmother, Lena lived with her grandmother, and in December, her grandmother became very ill, and Lena moved into Michaela's little little flat there. And in December, Lena, this 12-year-old, accepted Christ. Now, Lena had an aunt and an uncle. Her uncle was in prison. And while he was in prison, he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in prison in a Muslim country. Can you imagine? Why? Because a pastor of a church had been in prison with him and was there to share the gospel of Christ in prison for God's glory. Lena's aunt, she ran into a a Russian believer and went to church a couple of times and heard the gospel but didn't accept Christ at first. Lena's grandmother saw what was happening with, uh, with Lena's aunt and uncle and she began to think about the Injil, the gospels of Jesus Christ. And she said, I want to read the gospels or the Injil. And our missionary was able to provide her with that text. And she read it. And the grandmother accepted Christ. And it wasn't long afterwards that the grandfather accepted Christ. And two weeks later, the grandmother died. But out at the funeral, one of the daughters of the grandmother heard the gospel of Christ and accepted Jesus. Now, why did all of that take place? This web of people within a family coming to Christ. Because of faithfulness, obedience but also because of a pastor who was suffering for his faith. Don't ever underestimate what God is doing. Don't just look at it on the surface. See it for all that it is. Tonight, when you go over to those uh, exhibits, when you go to those stands, would you go over and ask some important questions? Don't just go over and get literature. Go over and ask a question like, Tell me, what is it about your ministry that is so important? Or ask a question that they get the opportunity to tell you about what they're doing. And before the week is over, can I ask you to do one thing? As you go through those exhibits, ask God to lay one of those ministries on your heart. Maybe two if you want. And before the end of the week, I want you to go up. Every one of you in this room, I want you to go to one of those exhibitors and say... I want to commit to pray for you as a representative of your mission at least once a week for the next six months. And you might even make it more more often than that. But would you let God put one of those ministries on your heart and pray for them? Don't leave this convention the way you came in. Let God touch your heart and He will bless you. He will change the world. Through your prayers. Do you believe in prayer? I do. I believe you do too. Because we know God is at work even in the darkest Muslim peoples of the world. His grace is there. Our job is to unveil it because it's already there. God bless you all.
We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.